Happened again last night Happens every time I play When the gig is over Someone has to say A question that appears to be on everybody's brains As they're driving down the highway In the commuter lanes It sure is not just me It's the 99% of artists who are wondering About the thousands they just spent On a CD that will never make it to the air Now all of us are grown-ups here We know life isn't fair But the answer to the question is one I'd really like to know Why don't they play you on the radio? Why don't they play you on the radio? Perhaps my songs are too cerebral They don't make you dance My melodies are boring There's no spandex in my pants Maybe it's because I don't use a drum machine Maybe I'm too red or maybe I'm too green Maybe folks just don't want to hear it They don't want to analyze Anything more complex than the space between your thighs Maybe I should wear more glitter Go to parties in an egg Perhaps I need to go electric Or show a bit more leg But the answer to the question Is one I'd really like to know Why don't they play you on the radio? Why don't they play you on the radio? I'm sure there's an exception to each and every rule But perhaps I'm too political and not a useful tool To keep the music in the background and the commercials in the fore To keep the shoppers shopping, not protesting the war To keep the lemmings humming, the same 300 songs The songs they play throughout the year, each night and all day long Maybe I just don't make the grade to be one of the chosen few Perhaps there was a sign somewhere and I just missed the cue Or I need to change my name to Bruce or Silvio Why don't they play you on the radio? Why don't they play you on the radio? It could be I just don't have the talent that's involved I'm lacking the commitment, I'm insufficiently resolved Or maybe there just aren't a million people who might buy More records made by some whiny left-wing guy Or maybe they would but I'm just out of luck Because I don't have a label That can spend a million bucks Because Sony and Clear Channel Have taken over everything And you've got to pay the piper If you want to make the piper sing And it's the king who tells the piper Where to go Why don't they play you on the radio Why don't they play you on the radio Why don't they play you on the radio why don't they play you on the radio? David Rovix with Why Don't They Play You on the Radio. And David Rovix is on the line. And David, I just played you on the radio. <laughs> yeah, the exception that proves the rule or something like that. Does that bother you? Have you not been able to get airplay? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's all relative, right? I guess it depends on... Uh, what your aspirations are in life in, in the triple A genre or the singer songwriter genre. I mean, you don't have uh, wild expectations necessarily, but uh, I don't think my uh, politics have helped in me getting any kind of the kind of radio play that I might perhaps have gotten if I weren't. But you are a political singer. And when I think of a political singer, I think of Pete Seeger. What is the difference between you and Pete Seeger? Well, I'd say that, um, 
I, I have a bit of a harder edge uh, than, than Pete, uh, perhaps, in, in terms of the stuff I'm writing about, and, and it's maybe a, a lot more uh, current and potentially offensive to various groups of people. Pete was very good at uh, appealing to many different sides of the equation and, and kind of finding the common ground, and I, I like to think I'm pretty good at that, but not nearly as good as Pete was. <laughs> what set you along this path? What influenced you early in your career that made you so radical? Well, I mean, I guess in my old age, I get more and more radical. You know, the, the more time goes by, because I think the more I understand about the world and about history, the, the more radical that that makes me. Maybe not in the sense of uh, sort of, I don't think I get more preachy necessarily with age. That age has helped with that, but but it hasn't helped uh, make me any any less uh, radical. I guess it started as a, when I was a kid, and I realized that uh, you know Reagan seemed to be intent on blowing up the entire world with this insanely massive nuclear arsenal. And I'm looking around me and seeing people sleeping on the streets in the city, just south of the little bubble suburb I grew up in. And, and it was very clear from the age of 12 that things were messed up in this country, that the priorities were all wrong. I mean, I figured that out by the time I was 12. It was pretty obvious. Do you identify with any of the political parties? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think uh, I love the the folks who are in charge in the Green Party in the United States. For a long time, there's been some really great folks. Uh, But in terms of the two major parties, I mean, I I love uh, the squad. I think there's a a great bunch of, you know, really wonderful uh, Congress people um, and other local politicians as well, and they tend to be Democrats, the good ones. But the overwhelming majority of the Democratic politicians are corporate pawns. They're stooges. They're millionaires. They're working for the real estate lobby, the banks. I mean, you look at Obama's cabinet, Clinton's cabinet, uh, Biden's cabinet coming up, and he's very diverse in terms of tokenism, but it's a full of people that used to work for big banks, and, and that's not who we need running the world. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, David, because our country seems to be at, at a turning point, I, I did not expect the Capitol to be attacked like it was. Why, why, in your point of view, was it, I guess we all thought this was inevitable, but what, what is the cause of that? Well, I'd say that the, the, much of the mainstream analysis that's coming out of the Democratic Party and out of the sort of liberal media is painting the whole picture as one of a white supremacist president and his white supremacist supporters fighting for their white supremacy. And I think that is really, it's all real. This, it's, this, is, this country has a horrible history of white supremacy and institutional racism, absolutely. But to boil Trump's entire base of support down to white supremacy and to say that this whole faction of the Republican Party that is now basically breaking off of the rest of the party, it seems, says it's all about white supremacy. I think it misses the point because uh, actually what it is, is is fascism. And what fascism is, is national socialism. And they don't like to use the term these days because they're so allergic to any kind of concept of socialism. And really, Trump is not a very good fascist in the sense of delivering 
uh, anything uh, to the working class, which fascists are supposed to be doing in order to get the loyalty of the working class. He just gets loyalty through propaganda, not not so much through delivering much to them, but other than propaganda. But I think that's that's his aspiration. And any fascist movement, historically and currently, fascist movements are motivated by more than simply the white supremacy or other forms of you know, supremacist uh, thinking. It's it's a bigger thing than that. They're appealing to a long-standing lack of all sorts of basic necessities in life that so many people have been facing for so long in this country. And fascism prospers when the alternative has consistently failed to serve the interests of the people, that in this case being the Democratic Party. So the Democratic Party since they betrayed the working class a long time ago, they have become the delivery mechanism for fascism, for the Republican Party, which is now, you know, at least part of it is now a fascist party. David Rovix is on the line. Uh, David has a new album coming out next month called Rebel Songs. Is uh, is Pawn on that album? Uh, no, I just wrote that recently, so it didn't get the album treatment yet. Well, I'm going to play Pawn now. Tell me how I got that song. Well, you found it at the end of a podcast. I, I do. Um, I write uh, regularly for Counterpunch and, and other publications, and I turn all my essays into podcasts as well. Uh, and then at the end of the podcast, I, I always uh, put a song so uh, that, that pairs well with the essay or that was written for the very purpose of pairing with the essay, basically, in this case. So that's, uh, that's where you found that one. Well, let's listen to David Rovick's new song, Here's Pawn. They get up in the morning to work another day. Turn on the radios to hear the man say, I know the reason why you're stuck. We gotta drain the swamp, clear the muck, if you want things to be better, he said We gotta paint this country red So go downtown with flag and gun That's how the West was won And the liberal reporter gets up before dawn Deriding the confusion of the aforementioned pawn Educating us about times before While omitting the whole class war how we fought side by side, white, black, and brown a hundred years ago. Right here in this town, they talk about slave patrols, but not about that. You can call it ignorance, but I smell a rat. And the pawns line up and take their sides. In the land of the great divide. A politician runs for office in this country he pretends not to be affected by the money he stands up for our rights especially when it's one that's supported by the money men he tells us not to look behind the curtain as his voting record makes it absolutely certain he's representing the few that's what all the millionaires in both parties do and the pawns line up and take their sides In the land of the great divide With 
us all divided in so many directions. With some getting rich, others plotting insurrections. Someone said a half-truth is worse than a lie, more powerful even than a bullet in the eye. It seems in order to divide and rule, they just amplify the voices of the tools. In the Congress, in the White House, on TV, or in a caravan of pickup trucks invading the city. And the pawns line up and take their sides. the great divide and the pawns line up and take their sides in the land of the great divide pawn a new song from david rovix recorded from his weekly podcast david one of the things that really disturbs me is health care how expensive it is president obama tried so hard and passed a historic health care reform, and all Donald Trump had tried to do is tear it down. Why is health care in America still so expensive? It's, um, I mean, I think at least, you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe, at least before the pandemic, and that is probably the single biggest thing that Europeans are most confused by. You know, Europe has a right wing, and and the right wingers in Europe uh, are also xenophobes. And so they understand the, uh, the the racism, you know, but they don't understand why people would reject free health care. They just they just don't get that. That's just not a thing among the right wing in Europe. There's no right wing party that that wants to get rid of health care, although they have all kinds of ideas about how to run it differently and budget cutting and all sorts of stuff that, that of course, would impact the poor worse than the rich and this sort of thing. But basically, the, the basic fundamentals of free health care. Uh, is not something that anybody is uh, really questioning in Europe. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, I mean, I guess uh, the, the way the Republicans were able to sell the whole thing is around their, their whole opposition to it was around this whole question of choice and the sort of monolithic fear of the state and, and the state uh, providing a service uh, that replaces corporations. And this is somehow a slippery slope towards uh, one global government or whatever they're afraid of. Uh, what it really indicates, I think, that their argument holds such sway, though, is a much longer-standing, bipartisan, society-wide rejection of government as uh, something that can actually be a efficient provider of services for th- their populations, as governments do all over the world. You know, we've bought this line at least since the 80s, uh, not just Republicans, but across the society, that uh, corporations are somehow inherently more efficient than um, than governments, uh, you know, and which, in my personal experience, is not at all, not at all the case. You know, corporate bureaucracies can be incredibly inefficient, and so can government bureaucracy. But by the same token, either kind of bureaucracy can can deliver services, and from and government can do it if it's done well. Government can do it better. And at a, with, a, with a much lower need for a profit margin because they don't need to make a profit. So especially when you're talking about services that are basically a monopoly anyway, <laughs> you know, if you need a medical care from medical practitioners, you don't need a, a, an insurance company in, in between you and the doctor. You just need the doctor. 
So this all whole bureaucracy that, that is a multi-billion dollar bureaucracy, just completely unnecessary. And unfortunately, Obama didn't get rid of that, you know. He tried? No, no he never was really for single payer, which is, which is what would get rid of uh, all the bureaucracy. Or if he was, he didn't stick with that very long. You know, he, he compromised very quickly for the same kind of Clintonian compromise that allows all the insurance companies to continue to exist and make ridiculous profits. And they're all still here. Uh, even when they had both houses of Congress, uh, they, they couldn't get that through. And they blamed the Republicans for it. The Republicans threatened to filibuster. Maybe, you know, maybe that's true, but it seems like they could have tried harder when they controlled both houses of Congress and the White House at the beginning of Obama's presidency. David Rovix is on the line. David, are you, do you feel like you're alone? I mean, as, as far as folk singers go, why, why don't more folk singers try to make change like you do? I mean, there are a lot of musicians out there uh, writing about this kind of stuff, but I think, I guess, I don't, I don't know if I should name any names, but there's one in particular I'm thinking of who already had a mainstream kind of audience or what you might call in the, in the folk scene, in the AAA scene, uh, and then he got really political uh, after, uh, basically after 9/11, uh, not in any kind of like conspiratorial sense, but in the sense of like realizing, oh, the, you know, U.S. foreign policy had a big part in bringing this about, and, and now we're going to just make everything worse by starting more wars. And so he started writing all this political material, and he lost half of his fan base. You know, and when you're when you're critical of U.S. foreign policy, and when you're critical of some of U.S. Uh, particularly close allies like Israel, which is a very controversial subject to cr be critical of, uh, including on the left, including in the folk scene. When you write songs about that kind of stuff, this is not appealing to the common denominators of, you know, love lost and found, you know, which you know, this, is, this is stuff that divides people that not everybody can uh, support. And you're going to end up losing a lot of gigs, losing a lot of audience, and not getting a lot of gigs that you otherwise might have gotten you know, and that's just the reality. So people avoid it for professional reasons, and they avoid it because if they ever want to actually get a record deal, not that, you know, that's a very realistic option for most people in this state of, you know, current state of the collapsed of industry, the music industry. But, you know, if people have any kind of aspirations to become, you know, famous, uh, you know, or, or even in their field in, in within the AAA uh, realm, then uh, they know that people don't get famous by, uh, uh, you know, writing uh, uh, left-wing songs critical of uh, of capitalism and imperialism. David, how do you survive? I mean, the thing is that I, I, I never aspired to, you know, that kind of fame. So so I, I survive because I have a core audience that agrees with my uh, perspective and, and supports me through... Uh, these days, through mainly through crowdfunding, through Patreon, uh, used to be more straightforward. They supported me by buying my records because they like my music, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and by coming to my gigs, you know. But uh, of course, uh, the whole economy uh, has changed with the music business, and uh, now uh, you can't, you know, most artists can't survive just by playing gigs and selling merch because, well, during the pandemic, there's no gigs, and of course, there's also before the pandemic, no merch. Uh, so crowdfunding uh, has replaced those things. And for me, it's uh, more or less, uh, you know, uh, been a successful transition to, you know, becoming a professional online beggar. Uh, <laughs> of course, a lot of other musicians uh, either don't want to go that route or, or just aren't good enough at it or 
you know, don't have a big enough fan base to be able to successfully, you know, be full-time beggars. Um, for me, it's, it's gone well, but I grew up listening to NBR, so I, I, uh, I know how to beg. <laughs> David Rovix is on the line. Well, you have been extremely busy since the quarantine. Are you working harder now than before? Uh, actually, I mean, I've, I'm, I've been working really hard during the pandemic, uh, but it's just um, it's just work that I'm creating. It's not like I have paying gigs or anything, but I'm doing a lot of broadcasting and, and, and a lot of songwriting, a lot of recording. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely keeping myself busy and I'm not working much at all in terms of uh, the way that what I would ha- would have characterized as work before the pandemic, like uh, driving hundreds and hundreds of miles and flying around and playing gigs and driving and flying some more. You know, that was my life. Uh, I kind of miss it and I don't really. I mean, it's been great having a really extended break from all that driving and flying and, and just being in one place with my family. Sometimes you go nuts a bit, but generally it's been wonderful. David Rovix on the line. Let me play another song. Why did you write the books of Howard Zinn? Well, because uh, on September 17th, I happen to remember the date, <laughs> Donald Trump uh, hosted an American history conference at the White House, uh, and uh, he invited uh, somebody, I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody who goes around the country basically trashing Howard Zinn and, uh, and any uh, schools that use his uh, books. And, uh, you know, he's really enemy number one for the uh, people that uh, hate what they call revisionist history, which, of course, is really much more like real, actual history, unlike the revisionist history that they want us to uh, consume uh, from their, you know, terrible textbooks that uh, really just are full of lies, which is what most of us grow up on. So um, they really don't like Howard Zinn, and I really love Howard Zinn. So when they had this uh, conference uh, to trash Howard Zinn, I had to write a song about their conference. Here's David Rovix, The Books of Howard Zinn. The president stood his lectern at a conference of the press. The state of education was the subject of his address. There should be more patriotism in the schools, more saluting of the flag. More about the invention of the telephone and the plastic bag. The kids don't need to know about all the bloodied soil, about all of the rebellions or all the wars for oil. It's all far-left propaganda. It should be banned or burned. We're just great and getting greater. That's all they need to learn. The president said it must stop or the anarchists will win. The indoctrination of the youth by the books of Howard Zinn. They don't need to know about the workers or the general strikes. They need no lessons on the scalpings of adults and kids alike. No chapters on the riots that brought us where we are. The visions of the damned who followed the North Star. Just tell the kids how brilliant were the founding fathers all. Just see what bullshit sticks when you throw it at the wall. Reality doesn't matter. Neither does the past, so ditch your Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz and shred your Howard fast. The president said it must stop or the anarchists will win. The indoctrination of the youth by the books of Howard Zinn. The students don't need to know 
How many souls were lost beneath the reign of gunships? They don't need to know the cost. To the nations that lay shattered, the homeless veterans right here. Dying on the sidewalks beside empty cans of beer. The kids don't need to think. They just need to serve and be grateful for the billionaire and his steely nerve. He'll free us from the confines of knowing up from down. Just don't read Jeremy Brecker, Angela Davis, or Dee Brown. The president said it must stop or the anarchists will win. The indoctrination of the youth by the books of Howard Zinn. The president said it must stop or the anarchists will win. The indoctrination of the use by the books of Howard Zinn. David Rovix is on the line. We just listened to the books of Howard Zinn, and David has a new album coming out next month called Rebel Songs. Was that long in the, the making, Rebel Songs? Yeah, it's been um, in the making in a sense. I've been trying to get uh, on unemployment since last March, and uh, at the beginning of December, the wind finally came through. You know, the Oregon Employment Department uh, sent me a whole bunch of checks, and so I immediately did what musicians do when they find themselves with <laughs> more money than they need, and I started making plans to spend thousands of dollars in a recording studio and hire uh, some of the best musicians around town to make an album, and oh. also uh, some great musicians in Ireland. And so it's basically a album that started out at a wonderful local recording studio outside of Portland called Big Red Studio, and then sent all the files to Paul McAdam in Ireland, uh, who produced another album that I did a year ago called Strangers, Strangers and Friends. And Paul is a brilliant multi-instrumentalist and uh, sound engineer, and he's... Uh, going to be laying down uh, various other tracks that we made room for, and uh, ultimately he'll be mixing and mastering the thing approximately by sometime next month. David, I'm going to play a song from your as-yet-unfinished album, but before I do, do you see anything positive coming out of the actions of the, the far right uh, these past few weeks? Rise of this fascist movement that's been growing for a long time now um, should have been a long time ago a, a teachable moment uh, for uh, many elements of society. But I think basically the people who are in control uh, who could be making the changes that need to be making um, just don't seem to see how important it is for them to make those changes, or they're just so bought and sold by the corporate elite that they're unable to make those changes. I mean, what I'm seeing is, is uh, which is a very interesting situation, is, is Democratic uh, governors and legislatures in states like Oregon and other states doing the kinds of things that really need to be done to prevent uh, an uprising, like things like uh, uh, a ban on evictions and a suspension on foreclosures. But they are not doing the kinds of things that really would need to be done to really forestall an eventual uprising, like really canceling the rent and really, you know, you know, suspending, the, uh, canceling mortgage payments for the duration of the pandemic. And I, I mention that because I think actually the rise of this fascist movement is exactly uh, happening for the exact kind of same reasons that you see the rise of 
socialists and other uh, left movements, anarchists um, and social democratic movements in this country, the rise of Bernie Sanders and AOC. And these, this is all happening for the same sorts of reasons for, to some extent, which is, I think, uh, that uh, people can't feed their families. And when people can't feed their families adequately, that this, this gives rise to people searching for answers. And even though for those of us who have a certain kind of worldview where you figure if you need answers and you need help, you're, of course, going to look towards uh, community and the government and, and these kinds of traditional, uh, more socialist-oriented solutions. But other people don't think that way. You know, they need answers and they don't think about, uh, you know, uh, forming you know, solidarity or, or, or a union movement or this kind of thing. They think in other ways. And there are reasons why they think that way. And it's because, you know, they've been, they've grown up in this country with our media and our educational system. So naturally, really, as a result, when they are desperate, they think, oh, maybe the answer is in uh, white supremacist or xenophobic or other forms of uh, you know nationalist uh, movements because that's what they know. I have a close family relative who thinks that Trump is a genius and he doesn't lie. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, exactly, because the thing is that um, it, it's people who know that he is lying, whether he's a genius, that's more subjective, but he's, whether he's lying, he's lying all the time, that's clear. And people who know that he's lying all the time, we're in a difficult uh, position to be able to talk to people that don't know he's lying all the time, because uh, the, the sources that many of us uh, will, will put out there as more reliable sources of information are not reliable sources of information. I mean, anybody who's old enough, for example, to remember the Iraq war remembers that all the mainstream media, NPR, CNN, and all of them were blindly repeating anything that coming from the Bush administration, every one of Colin Powell's 31 lies that he made to the United Nations General Assembly, which got us into the war with Iraq, they just repeated that ad nauseum uncritically, and both in Britain and the United States, and that's that's supposed to be the alternative. We're supposed to be telling them, oh, well, look, listen to NPR and you'll get more reliable information. Well, that's nonsense. So what are we supposed to tell them? Who's who's not lying to them? Unfortunately, everybody's lying to them. David Rovix is on the line. I know you have kids. Do you feel positive about their future? I don't know. I mean, the world's been a pretty messed up place for a long time. Certainly, you know, I've grown up uh, since long before I was born. You know, the world has been living in the shadow of uh, nuclear apocalypse and other forms of apocalypse as well. I think that the only hope for the future is in people trying to change the situation and, uh, you know, in through so many different means. And one of those means is, is through popular education, you know, through communication, through you know, radio, podcasts, essays. So that's what I, songs, you know, I think communication is important. So that's what I try to do, you know, and I hope that it just gets out there to, and has some kind of impact. But it's certainly very frustrating because even when you're trying to communicate, it's so hard to even, you know, for anybody to ever hear what you're saying anyway. So it's, uh, it's, there's a lot of uh, frustration and a lot of reason not to be hopeful. But I think that all you can do is, is, is try to you know, keep on going and find reasons 
to be hopeful that might be legitimate reasons to be hopeful. Like, don't be hopeful in totally illegitimate things like the, the possibility that the Democratic Party is going to reform itself and lead us out of this mess. That's not going to happen. But be hopeful about uh, the possibility, for example, that a massive, well-organized social movement can change everything. Because history shows around the world that massive social movements, when uh, they come around and they're well-organized and they have good vision, can actually uh, really uh, transform uh, whole societies and, and make the politicians uh, follow their lead. And that's certainly what we need. We never know when movements like that will come around or how they'll come around. You know, if we did, they'd, you know, they'd happen more often. But we can only try to, to work in that direction and, and, and hope that that kind of movement will get off the ground and, and, and fly, take flight. David Rovix. David has a new album out coming out next month. David is also very active on social media with a weekly podcast, and uh, uh, you can find out more information at David's website, David, R-O-V-I-C-S. I'm going to finish with Lies, which is a preview of your new album. Tell me, it ends rather abruptly. Why did you do that? Oh, I mean, it ends with the same, uh, with the first line that the first verse starts with, but I think that is the key uh, line. I mean, that, uh, and I think this is so true for so many people who are actually Trump supporters now. Uh, one thing that you'll find, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to explain this, but if you look at Trump's base of support in the counties where he has some of the biggest support, it's also the counties that have some of the highest number of combat veterans. And uh, I think his opposition, or at least his his perceived opposition to the war in Iraq, uh, is is a big part of his base of support. For a lot of people, uh, when he was talking about how uh, the politicians, like the Bush administration politicians, in 2003 were lying to everybody about the war, he you know he repeated that line many times when he was campaigning. He talked about that was one of his main points that he was campaigning on. That's why the Bushes hate him so much. It's a key element to understanding um, the growth of his uh, base of support and, and why uh, so many people feel so lied to by both parties. David Rovix, thank you so much for taking time to talking to us. Thanks so much, Michael. It's been such a pleasure. They lied about the wars. Took time to figure out that democracy and freedom was not what it was about. They said we'd fight the terrorists, but all that I could see was I was occupying someone else's country. They lied about the weapons. They all were so convinced the generals on the TV haven't heard from them since. They say it was an accident, but I think it was their plan. They spread the lie on CNN and NPR and C-SPAN. They lied about the jobs. All the pundits used to say before this city was abandoned and the good jobs went away. Sign up to this free trade bill, win-win all around. Now half the guys I used to know are six feet underground. Looking at us on TV, they pretend they care, but it's all about the money, which anyone can tell. If you have half a brain, why I should believe them now, it just seems insane. Talk turned to the virus, 
we all stood to lose. I was not the only one who thought it was fake news. I just went about my life like I normally would do. So maybe I'll catch a cold, I thought, or a little flu. Instead of being intubated, hooked up to this machine, you can see that I'm an idiot. Maybe I don't know, but before I take my leave, before I have to go, before they stick me in a box with quarters on my eyes, there's lots of blame to go around here, and I know where it lies. the wars. 